0: Hello friends. This is the Tarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's NeetartsFriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. Jesus said to his disciples, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives you peace. My gift is nothing like the peace of this world. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. So, according to Jesus, there are two different versions of peace. There's a peace that Jesus gives us, and there's a peace that the world offers us. (laughs) Hmm. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. That's the fruit that we're looking at today. And remember, the context of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is conflicting desires. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing about when he's writing about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the flesh and the Spirit. He says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. The flesh demands, the Spirit produces. Peace. And we all want peace. And we live in a world that is ripe with unrest and anxiety and conflict, estranged families, broken relationships, bloodshed, war. So, uh, which peace is it? <laughs> like, how do we sort out the difference between the peace that the world offers to us and the peace that we receive Simply from being in God and God in us. So, we're going to look today first at the peace that the world offers us. And then we'll look at the peace that we receive from Jesus. The the peace that the world offers us is often described in negative terms. It's if you could just make all of the problems in your life disappear, if somehow you could get rid of all of the worries and the conflicts, the nagging, the enemies, the wars, the mean people, the people who don't understand, if you could get rid of all of them and eliminate them, then you would have peace when there's nothing left standing in your way, when Nobody is standing in your way. When there's no opposition, when there's no more threat, then that's the world's version of peace. You remember the story of the first bloodshed in the book of Genesis. It's the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4. Cain attacked his brother Abel while they were out in a field, and Cain killed his brother Abel. And from that point on, uh, the Genesis 4 and Genesis 6 tells us the world just filled up with violence and with vengeance, so much so that God regretted ever making humans. Now, what if the fight between Cain and Abel turned out differently? Like, what if they went out in the field and Cain attacked Abel, But Abel fought back. And what if Abel killed Cain instead of Cain killing Abel? Would Cain's blood have cried out from the ground to God like Abel's did? Would would Abel have had peace by eliminating the threat, eliminating the opposition? Would he have then had peace? And what about all of the violence before the flood? What about all those people just before the flood of Noah who, they were attacked violently, the book of Genesis tells us. What if they fought back? What if they killed their attackers? Could self-defense have stopped the flood of Noah? Would God still have regretted creating humanity? The world's version of peace is a world full of Abel's, and they are armed and they are ready to strike back if Cain ever comes at them. It's, it's eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and show no mercy. It's eliminate your enemy. And maybe a preemptive strike here or there might even be necessary. And that's the world's version of peace. The world's version of peace is very individual. It is not communal. It's if I'm all if I'm good, then it's all good uh, because the opposition is eliminated and I have peace. So it's all good. There is no asking. Wait a minute. At what cost? What about the well-being of my brother or my sister or all? Both versions of peace—the peace that Jesus gives and the peace that the world offers—both versions. peacemakers and both versions claim blessed are the peacemakers but in one version lives are taken and demanded this is the world's peace in the world's peace they take the lives of the opposition in Jesus peace lives are given lives are laid down the world's version of peace is always trying to get away from something uh, because it's, it's defined by negative terms. So it's plagued by this question, what is the worst that could happen? Now, that's a question that plagues a lot of people. It, it drives a lot of anxiety because the, the worst answer to that question is death. You could die. Your your loved ones could die. You're biodegradable. It's dust to dust, ashes to ashes. And not only that, because for some people they're like, oh, I'm I'm not really scared of dying, uh, but it would be the the meaningless part of dying. World history says there's a very good chance that within three or four generations, hardly anyone will remember the mark that you left on the world and and really that's the majority of everyone who ever lived uh, like most of them are just lost from memory wiped out a meaningless existence death and so the world's version of peace is always running away what's the worst that could happen we have to get away from from that and so the, this fear of death Uh, Psychologist Richard Beck says this fear of death is right at the center of our, our human predicament. We want to live so badly and we want our life to have meaning. And so it creates a massive vulnerability for us because the fear of death will cause people to do all kinds of things that they would never do if they weren't thinking about the fact that they might die. Psychologists have done all kinds of studies and research around how this fear of death affects us. Uh, Sometimes it's spoken of as terror management theory in psychology or mortality salience. And basically, thinking about our death, here's what the studies and research show. When you think about your death, it causes this strong need to protect your own worldview. It it can increase aggressive behavior and prejudice and stereotyping and willingness to inflict pain on others. So the author of Hebrews says, he writes this in Hebrews 2, Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Uh, The Apostle Paul in his famous gospel chapter where he's uh, defining and, and saying this is the gospel. It's 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul says that the sting of death is sin. Now, are you catching that? Uh, The Bible doesn't just say, well, sin causes death. Because a lot of people think that way. They're like, well, yeah, sin sin came into the world and sin causes death. Well, the Bible doesn't only say that. It it also says often that death causes sin. Uh, So (laughs) there's this tangled line of causation that runs both ways. Uh, Specifically, it's the fear of death. That causes sin. So the Apostle Paul calls death the very last enemy that will be put under Jesus' feet. And church fathers wrote about this. Uh, Chrysostom says, He who fears death is a slave and subject himself to everything in order to avoid dying. He who does not fear death is outside the tyranny of the devil. Now, simply because someone is saying, no, I'm being peaceful, I I want peace, it doesn't necessarily mean they're talking about the peace of Jesus. Just saying, peace, peace. In fact, it's nothing new for leaders, even religious leaders, to call something peace that is not the peace of God. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, You can find the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, often coming against the leaders of the people of Israel and Judah because those leaders of the people were saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace, no true shalom. Uh, There was no justice, we are told. Uh, These scriptures say these leaders were putting superficial band-aids on like deep traumatic wounds and saying, "Oh no, it's all good." They were greedy, they were deceitful, they were violent. They were declaring peace for those who were keeping their own bellies full, and then they were declaring holy war on those who weren't complying with their wishes. And and sadly, it's it's not only the Old Testament. Sadly, Christian history is of far too many stories of leaders who proclaimed peace while doing anything but loving their enemies, loving their neighbor, turning the other cheek. So I'll I'll briefly just share one story and warning, this is kind of PG-13. So 1095, the year 1095 AD, Pope Urban II, he rallies his fighting men He sends them to Jerusalem because he wants them to, quote, rescue Jerusalem from the rule of Muslims who they're calling infidels. And uh, so this this pope declares, he says, cursed be the man who holds back his sword from shedding blood. And and so the battle cry of these crusaders going into Jerusalem as they, they are holding the sword is, God wills it. Uh, now, a, a chaplain, a leader in this crusade, his name is Raymond of Ogilers. He wrote, he was actually recording uh, what happened, and he says, They rode into the streets of Jerusalem. They were slaughtering men, women, and children, uh, Muslim and Jewish folks, all in the name of Jesus, beheading, torturing, and um, shooting them with arrows, forcing people to jump out of towers, and burning people with flames. At the temple, he records that the men rode with the blood up to their knees, up to the horse's bridle. Uh, he says there were piles of heads and hands and feet seen in the city streets. You had, to, you had to pick your way over the bodies. And at the end of it all, these men who did this gathered for a worship service in the church of the Holy Sepulchre. They have no more enemies. So they finally have peace, but it's, it's peace, peace when there is no peace. Remember, so we're looking at these two different versions of peace, the, the flesh and the spirits version that the flesh demands, but the spirit produces. The Spirit gives. So are you, are you seeing what it looks like when uh, the flesh demands? Now we're going to look at what is the peace that Jesus wants us to receive? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Well, the peace that Jesus gives is not defined in negative terms, but rather in positive terms. So peace is well-being for all it's wholeness for all it's harmony for all it's reconciliation Uh, bernard Ott says it's when we can look each other in the eye and there's nothing between us that's the picture of peace now some people say i i thought peace was like a a inner feeling inner tranquility Uh, well it might include that feeling but If you're reading what scripture has to say about Shalom or Irene, it it certainly can't be reduced to an inner feeling because it involves relationships and it involves how you treat other people. The prophet Isaiah says the fruit of justice is peace. So what comes out of justice? Peace. Uh, Peace is inherently social. It's not just me. It's it's us. And so the peace of Jesus is communal. It is not individual like the peace of this world. It's communal. So it's not, well, if I'm good, it's all good. No, the peace of Jesus is if one member suffers, every member suffers. And it asks, who is my neighbor and who is not my neighbor? (laughs) Nobody. Uh, And love your enemy. And turn the other cheek and carry their bag the extra mile and bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you and forgive. It says the well-being of all. And Jesus also blesses the peacemakers. But he's not talking about the people who take lives, who demand lives, eliminate their enemies. The peacemakers are those who give their lives. They lay down their lives for others and they work towards reconciliation. They are trying to bring people together, trying to create harmony, trying to be ambassadors for Jesus. This is their work. And so, yeah, the world, the world's peace is caught up with drawing lines between people. And so, Uh, If you are on the other side of the chasm and uh, you are a threat, I might try to eliminate you. But Jesus' peace is about let's bridge that chasm. Let's bring people together under one kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. The peace of the world asks, what's the worst that could happen? And, of course, then it's driven by that question, like, oh no, I could die. My life could become meaningless. And so I need to get ahead of that. And so I need somehow like this preemptive strike, uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, anxiety, control the situation. But the peace of Jesus asks a different question. It's the question of preemptive love. It's how can I bless and care for this person? Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So it's, how can I get ahead of this situation with love? The peace of Jesus does not listen to the flesh, but it does listen to the body. (laughs) Now, that sounds confusing. You say, the flesh and the body, aren't they the same thing? Well, the, the words in the New Testament, flesh, uh, sarx, and body, soma, they can they are sometimes used interchangeably in Scripture. But often, the flesh describes that self-preservation instinct. It's hostile to others, hostile to God. Uh, so James 4 says, What causes fights? What causes quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit Have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So at the final resurrection, Scripture portrays our bodies shedding their flesh, their sarks. That self preservation instinct will be left behind. We're told this is 1 Corinthians 15. The flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's interesting because at the same, in the same chapter of scripture, we're also told that our bodies, our soma, will be carried forward and, and renewed, changed. In the twinkling of an eye, the perishable will become imperishable, we are told. Now, some people say, yeah, you shouldn't listen to your body. Don't listen to your body at all. That's really missing the importance of, that God puts on the body. The temple. According to ancient Christian orthodoxy. You were always meant to be an embodied being. This this is your body. And this body. Like if you look at your body right now. This body is going to be renewed. And this is what, what our, our faith says. Is millions of years from now. In the new heavens. And the new earth. They're going to be doing incredible things with your body, creating things beyond your wildest imagination with your body, because your body was created for this purpose of being God's co-creator and a steward of this planet, A, a temple of God. Your body was created to worship. Your body was created for unselfish love, to give. And somewhere underneath all that flesh, I think your body knows it the the piece of jesus doesn't listen to that self-preservation flesh but it does listen to the body now how do we figure this out sort this out how do we become free of that self-preservation instinct that fear of death because it feels so wrapped up in every fiber of our being it's so natural To root all of our identity in our flesh. Well, in northern Greece, Mount Athos stands St. Paul's Monastery. And in that monastery, (coughs) there's this ancient carving, should say ancient carvings. They're inscribed over the doorway uh, in the rooms of the monks uh, from these, these earlier centuries of the church. And here's the saying. I think this saying is so helpful. If you die before you die, you won't die when you die. If you die before you die, you won't die when you die. And, and maybe we could extend that a little further as we're thinking about this, this broadest sense of What is it that we fear about death? Maybe we could also say, if you become meaningless, before you become meaningless, you won't become meaningless when you become meaningless. Jesus understands how hard this is for us because Jesus came into this world and uh, there's this sense that Satan was going to do his darndest to not let Jesus out of this world alive. And Jesus has lived this. Uh, and Satan doesn't aim to let you or I out of this world alive either, but to keep us enslaved to this fear of death. And so the, the principalities, the powers, if you believe in any kind of uh, embodied or Uh, the phenomena of evil. It would be trying to keep your mind focused on these questions of death and meaninglessness. What's the worst that could happen? And our mind goes there more often than we like to admit with this sense of foreboding, uh, like imagining a tragedy, imagining a crisis, an attack. we can play these movies of disaster in our mind, the worst thing that could happen, because we're all enslaved to this fear of death. And so your then your brain tells you, you better get ready. You better armor up. You better prepare for a preemptive, some kind of a preemptive strike. Don't let that happen. Get ready. And so it can create aggression, tension, anxiety, prejudice, cruelty, all kinds of wacky stuff. And it paralyzes us, keeping you from living out of who you were created to be, a person of self-giving love. So the Christian church throughout history has viewed baptism as this call to die before you die. Uh, part of that, I think, is recognizing The resurrection of Jesus frees us from this fear of death. And so we're going to connect with this by dying before we die. We're going to die to the flesh. It's an expression of this renunciation of that fear of death. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So we, we hear all of this, and on, on one level, you might be able to connect with it, like at a, a cognitive place, but then, and I'm just not only talking about you, I'm talking about me too. How do we get our body to connect with this peace? That we're talking about. How do we get our body to connect with the peace that Jesus wants to give us, and and actually grow, uh, get our bodies to relax into this peace? I'm reading a book right now by Doctor Bessel van der Kolk, Uh, "The Body Keeps the Score." He's a doctor, uh, pioneering researcher on trauma and specifically the connection between the brain and the body. Uh, and I'll give you just a tidbit from his work and, and using this piece from uh, ancient Christianity, something that you might try. So Dr. Bessel van der Kolk says, every time you breathe in, you're, you're activating at some level your sympathetic nervous system, which is like your body's accelerator, your gas pedal, fight or flight. And then every time you breathe out, you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system, which is more like your body's brake system, slows you down, relaxes your body. And so he, he shared with a lot of people who are trying to get their body to relax, to to work on the exhale, the uh, the, specifically the breathing out. And so to simply make some space in your day to take some time to take uh, a 10, try to breathe, do it in and out in the space of 10 seconds. And specifically to make that exhale as long as you can, helping your body to to slow down and i wonder if as you would do that if you would just memorize this little phrase that we've been talking about and make that your your exhale phrase so if you die whether you say it out loud or in your mind if you die before You die. You will not die when you die. And if you would just spend, he he says, uh, even a few minutes to just sit in that space to help your body connect with this sense of relaxation and peace that Jesus is giving to us. If you die, before you die, when you die, you will not die. So we're not trying to do peace here. It is something to be received. Your body was given to you so that you can love and create and and give. So how might the Spirit... Grow this fruit of peace within you. Love you, friends.